Amen. Thank you. Um, I don't want to cause any contention in the church, but I can confidently tell you uh, the men's meeting was better than the women's. Um, if there are any men in this building that were not there yesterday, uh, you don't ever want to miss another one at Nigel's house. This brother can cook. Let me tell you, he can cook. And we had a breakfast. I mean, in the past, the women have felt sorry for us, and they've prepared something for us. But this time they didn't. Oh, man, we had a wonderful time. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Nigel. I'm sure Carmen was kind of behind the scenes, providing a little bit of uh, moral support, but we had a wonderful time. And, you know, I had a sermon all prepared for today. And in our men's meeting, we got into a very lively discussion. And this morning when I woke up, I felt the Lord just impressing on my heart to search that thing out a little bit more. So my whole message changed, thanks to the men's meeting, and especially thanks to Darius back there. And I want to talk about a very interesting subject today, which I don't think we've ever really studied in depth here that I can remember. I want to talk about the book of life, the book of life. The Bible talks about various books that are in heaven. These are books that are written by God. And it may sound a little bit curious to you, but the Bible very clearly reveals to us that part of God's character, and remember, we're made in his image and likeness. We're always writing things down. We like to write notes and letters, and some of us have written books. And God writes books. Not that he has a bad memory, but God records things in writing for various reasons. And we want to look specifically this morning to a book that is mentioned over and over and over again, both in the Old and in the New Testament. And it's called the Book of Life. The Book of Life. And to begin, I want us to go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we're going to read from verse 17 to 20. Luke chapter 10, from verse 17 all the way down to verse 20. It says, The seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the disciples here had been sent out on a mission and Jesus sent them out to preach, to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And they came back all excited, all amazed because God was working through them and God was doing all the things that Jesus sent them out to do. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience that they had, I have, of casting a demon out. And man, the first time that happens, it's like, wow, I'm powerful. And Jesus was saying, no, not exactly. <laughs> I gave you the power I gave you the authority. And furthermore, don't get all caught up in those things. And he brings their focus back to something very important. More important than preaching. More important than healing the sick. More important than raising the dead. More important than casting out demons or doing any other kind of wonderful work. He says, don't rejoice in all of that. Rejoice if you know that your name is written in heaven. Written in heaven. Very specific words here. And obviously, Jesus knows all about these books that are being written in heaven. And we find that even in the Old Testament, there are references to a book of life that is being kept in heaven. And I want us to turn and look at a couple of these Old Testament examples and then bring it back to our day and try to get a, a better understanding. Why does God have this book? What is written in this book? And how do I know for sure that my name's there? 
I don't want anyone leaving here today without knowing absolutely for sure that your name is written in heaven. And let me tell you something. When you know that, you will rejoice. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Moses knew about this book. And as he's praying to God, he makes mention of God's book. And he actually pleads with God to blot his name out of the book. Exodus 32, verses 32 and 33. Exodus 32, 32. Here we go. This is Moses praying now. He says, but now, please forgive their sin. He's praying for the Israelites. God, please forgive them. But if you won't, if you do, do not forgive them, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, what are you praying about, Moses? There's no book. Where'd you get that idea? Is that what it says? No. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Wow. So there is a book. And obviously Moses somehow knew his name was in that book. And he was such an intercessor before God that he said, Lord, if you don't forgive them, then don't forgive me either and blot my name out of the book. And God's response, of course, is no, whoever has sinned, his name will be blotted out of the book. Now, remember, this is in the Old Testament. I want to look at two other Old Testament scriptures. Uh, and one of these we're going to come back uh, to a little bit more later on. But go to Psalm 69 and verses 27 to 28. Psalm 69, 27 to 28. And here the psalmist David is praying and he's, he's crying out to God to avenge him of all of his foes, all of his adversaries, all the wicked that were doing all kinds of evil things against David. And they did that in the Old Testament. They prayed for vengeance. They prayed that somehow God would deal with their enemies. And so this is the kind of prayer that David's praying. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. So here, King David also is well aware of the fact that a book is being kept. A record of names is being kept in heaven. And here again, it's implied that those who are righteous before God would be in that book. And those who were sinners, those who were wicked, would not share in God's salvation. And again, this is Old Testament. One more from the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Daniel 12 and the first verse. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So I think you can see this is something that's throughout the Old Testament. This wasn't a brand new concept that Jesus was bringing when he was talking to his disciples. Moses knew about a book. Daniel knew about a book. David knew about a book. And names are recorded there, and they're recorded there for a reason. Something about their moral or spiritual character or state had to do with whether or not their name was found in that book. Now... Let's bring it back to the New Testament. We already saw one instance in Luke 10 where Jesus told the disciples, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Let's look at a couple of places where it specifically talks about a book of life. Book of life. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. And here we see Paul making a reference to some of the Christians in the early church, some of his fellow workers in the gospel, and he indicates that their names were definitely in this book. 
He says, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Very interesting. Whose names are in the book of life. Paul knew about a book of life, and he seemed to be quite confident that he knew some of these people that were around him were in that book. Now, a very interesting scripture, and this one we're going to spend a little more time on, is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 22 to 24. Hebrews 12, 22 to 24. And the writer of Hebrews, of course, is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, people who had an understanding of the Old Covenant and the Jewish culture. And so in the previous verses, we're not going to take time, but he talks about what it was like being under the Old Covenant. And now he's going to contrast that with those of us, Jew and Gentile, who have believed in Jesus Christ and we've come into a new covenant. And here's what he says. Follow this carefully. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So in the previous verses, he was reminding the Jews that in the old covenant, they had come to Mount Sinai. You read about that in Exodus. And there was fire and rumbling, and it was a fearful sight. And of course, that's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the basis for the Old Covenant. But now the writer of Hebrews says, you've not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to two stone tablets with laws written on them. And he he actually gives this long list. Let me run through it again. First of all, he says, you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And then in verse 23, here's what I want to zero in on. You've come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Funny, you don't hear too much about this. At least I don't. I don't hear many preachers or many teachers talking about this, but it seems to be a pretty prevalent theme, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that it was understood that those who made up the church, those who were saved, those who had come into the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, their names were recorded in this book of life. And... I want to highlight one thing here. It says, the church of the firstborn whose names are written. Verse 23, previous verse. Church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. I was looking this word up, written. It's only found three other times in the New Testament. And all three times, it's found in Luke chapter 2. We don't need to go there, but you may remember in the story about the birth of Jesus, how there was a census and the people had to register according to what region they belonged to. And that's why Mary and Joseph had to make their trip and all of that. Well, that same word is used three times there and it refers to registering. So they, they had to be registered uh, in order to pay taxes. And let me tell you something, if I don't want to burst your bubble today, but the government knows a lot more about you than you think they know. <laughs> they know who you are, where you live, what you eat, and all of that. There's a lot that the government knows about us, and they especially are interested in collecting taxes. Oh, yes. And so there's a very good record that's kept. And of course, the most important 
piece of data about you is not your name and not how pretty you are. It's your social security number. That's what they want to know. And that tells them a whole lot about you. Now, coming back to our story, the church of the firstborn whose names have been registered. It could also be translated enrolled. Some, somehow, the, the thought here is that there's this book, there's this register, and if you're a citizen of heaven, if you're a citizen of Mount Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem, then your name is written there. There's a record that you are a citizen of that place. And in Philippians, Paul talks about citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, you may be a U.S. citizen or Guyanese or I don't know what your passport says, but above and beyond that, we better be absolutely sure we got the right passport to get into heaven. Because they're going to check passports. They're going to check passports when we go there. And your name and information better match with what's in the register there. Okay? Now, let me develop this a little bit more. The church of the firstborn. There's a very important word included in that word. It's the word born. And these are like birth records. But it has nothing to do with your first birth. It has everything to do with your second birth. Those who are written in this book of life, they all have one thing in common. They've been born of God. They've been born from above. Or they've been born again. All synonymous terms. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But there's a fascinating Old Testament scripture that I think points to what the writer of Hebrews is intimating here. And I want you to go to Psalm 87. Psalm 87. And we're going to find here that the Lord, even in the Old Testament, we'll see this again, was keeping a registry of all those that were born in the city of God. Okay? Now, under the Old Covenant, there was an earthly Jerusalem and there was an earthly Zion. We just read here in Hebrews 12 that there is a heavenly Jerusalem and there's a heavenly Zion. And you read a lot more about that in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible. There is a new Jerusalem, the city of the living God. But in Psalm 87, starting with verse 1, it says, God has set his foundation on the holy mountain. That's Zion. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. In Jerusalem, the, the pinnacle of the whole city is this mount, Mount Zion. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush. God is mentioning Gentile towns and peoples. But he's saying they will also be recorded there and they will say this one was what? Born in Zion. Okay, getting more interesting. Next verse. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were what? Born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. Now, my favorite one's the next verse. The Lord will write in the register. Did you hear that? There's a register. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. So the church is really the church of the firstborn. We've been born of God, and everyone who's born in Zion, everyone who has this heavenly birth, their name is registered. This isn't a list of all, you know, the do-gooders, the, the most righteous one on the block. has nothing to do with that. These all have one common characteristic. They've been born of God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I don't know how I became a Christian. I don't know how I've stayed a Christian for 40 years. It's all about God. It's not about you, and it's not about me. I was not looking for God 40 years ago. 
I was looking for every wrong thing to try to satisfy my own lusts, my own greed, my own desires. And God in his infinite mercy arrested me. He grabbed hold of my life and I was about to commit suicide. And in his mercy, he did not allow me to do what I wanted to do. And instead, he revealed his love to me and he allowed me to experience this amazing miracle of being born again, born of God. My favorite way of expressing, and it's really the closest to the original Greek in the New Testament, is born from above. Say that with me. Born from above. You have nothing to do with that. Born from above. This is a birth that came out of heaven. It's a birth that came from God. And you are the one that benefits from it. So, in John chapter 3, I think everybody knows these verses, but I want to read them quickly. John chapter 3, you remember the story of Nicodemus. And how many have now seen the movie Son of God? I finally saw it last Sunday night. Man, I liked it. I liked it. I like any movie about Jesus, but this one was good. And it really stimulated me. All week long, I've been going back over and I want to see it again because a lot of the scenes really brought things alive to me. And it got me thinking and it even got me back into the scriptures, reading over some of those scenes and just refreshing my memory. And the Holy Spirit showed me some new things through the whole the whole movie. And you'll remember there is a nice scene in there from this part of the gospel where Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, goes to see Jesus secretly by night. And it's recorded for us in John 3. And let's begin from verse 1. John 3, verse 1. We'll read all the way down to verse 7. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're our teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And as often, when people said things to Jesus, his responses were often quite shocking. He didn't go, well, I'm, I'm glad you recognize that, you know, I'm a good teacher and I'm from God and I'm doing all these miracles. He just goes right in there and says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Where did that come from? I didn't come here asking about any of that. And... This isn't in the Bible, but I can almost hear Jesus saying, it doesn't matter whether you asked or not. I speak what the Father tells me to tell you, and you need to hear this. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. This baffled this Jewish leader, as you can see in the next verse. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. This is a spiritual birth. It's a second birth. It has nothing to do with flesh. It has nothing to do with your human parents. And as I, as I said, the, the best translation is really born from above. And what does it say? It'd be a good idea to consider this. You ought to. What does it say? You must. You must be born again. We don't become Christians by trying to be a Christian. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else ever tried that. I tried to be a Christian. It doesn't work. It's impossible to be a Christian. Turn your other cheek when somebody smacks you. Try that one in your own strength. Love your enemies? Oh yeah, really? Forgive everything that everybody does against you when they talk bad about you? No, we can't do that. We can't be a Christian unless we're born again, born of that same spirit from above. And those are the ones whose names are recorded. They're born in Zion. They're born of God. They are now related to God the Father. God's seed, His Word has come into them and totally transformed them. 
You see, the new covenant is not about us kind of cleaning ourselves up and becoming better people. It's sad that that's what a lot of people think about Christianity. And even many people that are in churches, they think, well, you know, I'm trying. I'm really trying to be a good Christian. It's not about trying to be a Christian. It's about understanding I am spiritually bankrupt. I am a sinner. I cannot stop sinning. That's my nature. My only hope is to be reborn and have a whole new parentage, a whole new seed, a whole new DNA, if you will. And that's why the Bible says when we're born again, we're born of God's incorruptible seed. We actually inherit his divine nature. And then and only then can we begin to live like sons and daughters of God. The Bible says that the new covenant, God will remove our heart of stone and give us a new heart of flesh. And he will write his law upon our hearts. He will fill us with his spirit and he will cause us to walk in his ways. Totally different way of of walking with God than what they tried to do under the old covenant. So there has to be this total rebirth, this total transformation. And then, and only then, does the Lord write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. This one has a heavenly birth. Now, let me take you to a couple of other uh, scriptures that talk about this book of life in the New Testament. And then I want to come back and examine a, a question that often arises, and it's one that we were sort of discussing yesterday. Revelation 13 and verse 8 is another instance where reference is made to this book. Revelation 13 verse 8. And I don't have time to go into a whole big background on the book of Revelation, but in the context, this is referring to a period of time in the future, very near future, I believe, when the church is going to be evacuated from the earth and there's going to be seven years of tribulation on the earth. And it'll be a terrible time and there'll be a beast, the Antichrist, who rules the whole earth during those seven years. And it says all of the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, the Antichrist. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Notice all those whose names are written, where are they? They're not mentioned. They're gone. These are all the ones whose names are not written. They'll still be here on the earth during that terrible tribulation time. And they'll have one of two choices. Remain faithful to Jesus Christ and lose their head, die as a martyr. Or this is the other option. They worship the beast and they definitely suffer eternal damnation. And this becomes crystal clear in the last verse I want to read to you from the New Testament, and that's also in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. We're going to read from verse 11 to verse 15. Revelation 20, from 11 to 15. You know, we're we're living in a day, especially here in America, where God is mocked. Jokes are cracked in the nightly news about God, about Christians, about faith, and all these things. Uh, Really, morality and reverence for God has reached an all-time low in Western nations like the U.S. And people think nothing about mocking, uh, cracking jokes about God, even making filthy movies and stuff about these things. And it, it's amazing when you realize those very people that are strutting around in their pride and their arrogance saying, no God, we don't believe in God. That's all a bunch of foolishness. It's rather amazing to realize that soon they're going to be in this picture. And just listen to this and understand the power of these words. John writes, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. You realize how big the sky is? (laughs) You ever measured it? God says you can't measure it. Only he knows the measure of it. 
There are galaxies and galaxies and hundreds of billions of galaxies and innumerable stars out there. And it says the earth and the sky are going to flee from his presence and there will be no more place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. Oh yeah, the great will be there. The great ones, the famous ones, the movie stars, the sports and the athlete stars, they'll all be there with their rings and their trophies. Actually, they won't have their rings and their trophies. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. How interesting. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to all he had done. Yeah, 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 Pastor, but I don't believe in God. That's not going to work for me. Oh, really? What did we sing this morning? A few knees will bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's coming, my friend. It's coming. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And listen carefully to verse 15. If anyone... What's anyone mean? You mean anyone? Raise your hand if you're an anyone. A couple of you I'm not sure about. Might want to check for a pulse. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. My friends, this is very serious. This is very important, this discussion we're having today about the book of life. Because it is just what the title tells us. All those recorded in this book will live. Those who are not found in this book will not. It's that simple. And you and I... Hopefully, many of us listening this morning, we already know my name's in that book. But if there's even a sliver of doubt, man, I want to help you today. Make sure you know that you know that you know my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, let me summarize this before I go to my last point. There is a book. No doubt about it. There is a book of life that God keeps in heaven. He did it under the old covenant and he's doing it now in the new covenant. And we're more interested in the new covenant because this is a record of all those that have been born of God. The firstborn, all those that have been born from above. They now share that spirit and that life of the Father. And their names are recorded. And this same book is used at the final judgment to determine each one's destiny. A question that often comes up, once my name is in that book, can it ever be removed? Well, before we jump into a quick answer, let me go back to one scripture that we've already read, and then we're going to look at another key verse in the New Testament. Let's go back to Moses for a minute and what he was praying there in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32 and 33 again. Exodus 32, 32. But now, please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, the word that's translated blot out here is very similar to the Greek word that's used in the New Testament for the same idea. And I don't want to give you a big complicated Hebrew lesson because I don't even know Hebrew. I just know how to use a concordance. But the Hebrew word here means to stroke or to rub and by implication to erase or to smooth as with oil or with grease, to stroke, rub, or erase, to smooth something out. Now, can you erase something that isn't there? Have you ever in your life erased something from a piece of paper and you hadn't written on it? 
Doesn't make sense, does it? The, the whole concept behind this word is there's something written that is now going to be erased. Something that is going to be removed that was once there. All right. So this whole concept of a name being blotted out from the book is first introduced here in Moses' prayer. And now I want to take us to another scripture that we read earlier, but I want to look at it more carefully. Psalm 69, verse 27 and 28 again. Psalm 69, 27 and 28. Charge them with crime upon crime. And this part's important. Do not let them share in your salvation. Next verse. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. See, David understood to have your name in that book meant you were sharing in God's salvation. And to have your name blotted out of that book meant you had no part, no share in the salvation of God. And here it says that they would be blotted out of the book and not listed with the righteous. Now, this same word is used in another context, which will make you very happy this afternoon. And it's found in Psalm 51, where David prayed, Lord, blot out my sin, blot out my iniquities, blot out my transgressions. Did David have sin? Oh, big ones. Was there something that needed to be erased? Yes. Can God blot out sin? Absolutely. By the way, just a side note, David, you know, we talk so much about what a great man he was, and he was. He wrote all these wonderful psalms and songs. He was the king of Israel and slew Goliath and all that. But it's all in the Bible. He also committed adultery. He was considered to be the guilty one for murder. He lied. He covered up his sin for a year. And you know how God assesses this man at the end? He says, David, my servant is perfect. Obviously, God's idea of perfection is not ours. He was looking at David's heart. And David didn't want to be a sinner. He wanted to be clean. And that's why he prayed in Psalm 51, Lord, blot out my transgressions. Blot out my sins and my iniquities. And so we have a choice. Either we're going to go to God and say, Lord, blot out my sins, blot out my iniquities, or we do take the risk of having our names not written in the book of life. I prefer to call on God today and say, Lord, blot out all the junk and make sure my name is written in your book, not the other way around. Now, let's bring it to the New Testament. Revelation 3. And again, those of you that aren't real familiar with the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven messages that Jesus delivers to seven different churches. And I believe these are all messages for the church today. And we do well to study each one of them. And there's some pretty strong warnings in each one of these seven messages. And I'm just going to look at one of them. The message to the church in Sardis. Revelation 3, let's pick it up from verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So he's talking to a sleeping church. He's talking to a church that's gotten slothful, lazy. They've fallen asleep. Next verse. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it, and repent. Wait a minute, I thought only sinners repented. I did that 39, 40 years ago. Do I need to do that today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Repentance is all the time. Whenever you know that you've failed God, whenever you've disobeyed, whenever you've stumbled, whenever you've fallen, repent. Do it quickly. And then your sins can be blotted out. Repent, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. He's referring to them missing the rapture and being left behind for that great tribulation we talked about. Now keep going. Yet, this is the sad part. What does it say? Yet, you have a few. You have a few. 
You have a few in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. I have a few that haven't been defiled by the world. I have a few who are still clean and pure, and they are worthy to walk with me. And because they're overcomers, they will not be blotted out. Let me just take a few steps back here, and let's just use logic. You know, a lot of you have met Pastor Mohan from Sri Lanka. Uh, Most of you uh, never met his father, but uh, he, of course, was my wife's first pastor in Sri Lanka. And he he had a saying that he would use often. He called it sanctified common sense. He said, you know, sometimes we get so spiritual and all complicated, we just need to stop all that a minute and use some godly, sanctified common sense. And I'd like to appeal to common sense for just a minute here. Would Jesus even have made mention, as did Moses in Exodus 32, to blotting out a name from this book if it were utterly impossible? Why even talk about something if it can't happen? Why would Jesus even suggest that there were these two groups in Sardis? One, a minority that were walking with him. They were not getting defiled with all the things around them. And he said, they are worthy to walk with me. They are overcomers. And anyone like them, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. Well, I'm a simple man. But when I look at that logically, it seems pretty simple to me. If you take the reverse, those who are soiled, those who aren't really serious about their walk with God, they're not going to be worthy. They're not going to be dressed in white. They are not overcomers, and they may be in danger of having their name blotted from the book of life. Now, that's not a popular teaching. I'm very aware of that, but I believe it's the right understanding of this scripture. Now, here again, this word that's translated blot, if you study it, it always conveys the idea of removing something that was already present, something that was already existent. It's meaningless to talk about blotting out a name that was never there. You would never use that word in that sense. It's always used to take away something that was there. The word literally means to smear or wipe out. And it's used in several places in the New Testament. This first one, again, makes me very happy. Acts 3 verse 19, the same word is used here. Acts 3 19, repent. Oh, where did we hear that? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be, and here's the same word, wiped out. Did they have sins? Huh? Or were they just imaginary? These were real sins that needed to be really wiped out. And that's why he uses that word, blotted out or wiped out. Repent and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I am so glad that God not only can wipe a name off of that registry, he can wipe out sins too. And I prefer to have him deal with the sins now so I can be assured that my name is never going to be blotted out from the book of life. The word is also used in Colossians 2 verse 14. And here it specifically refers to God's handwriting. Colossians 2 verse 14. Having canceled the written code. Can you change that to King James for a minute, DJ? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Whose handwriting is it referring to? Whose handwriting? God's. It's talking about the handwriting of the law. The handwriting of the law, my friend, was against you and it was against me. It declared us all to be guilty. And on the cross, Jesus took all of that handwriting and it was nailed to the cross, blotting out God's own handwriting of ordinances 
that were against us. So in every case when this word is used, it's referring to the removal of something that was there. It's the same word that you find in the book of Revelation for wiping away tears. Tears were there. They needed to be wiped away. So here again, Jesus says, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. Who? He who overcomes. He who walks worthy of me. Who? He who is not soiled and defiled with the world and with sin and with evil. Let me tell you something. We're living in a very challenging time now. We're surrounded with every kind of temptation. We're surrounded with every kind of opportunity to sin. And yet God is calling us out not to be soiled, not to be defiled, but to walk worthy of him. Again, I've studied this many, many years, and I cannot make any logical sense out of this if the normal interpretation is true that as soon as I sign up to be a Christian, it doesn't matter what I do, I can go out and get drunk, kill people, lie and steal, but once saved, always saved. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry. It just doesn't make common sense, let alone good Bible sense. And in Revelation 22... Verse 18 and 19, we find a companion scripture to this. So that this isn't just some isolated thing that we pulled out from Revelation 3. Revelation 22 is the last chapter of the Bible. And there's a strong warning here to anyone that would try to add or subtract to the word of God. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Verse 19, if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, I don't know why the translators ever did this, But NIV has gotten this wrong. And I want to show you, it talks about he will take away his share in the tree of life. But now put up King James. God will take away his part out of the what? The book of life. It's the same word in all these other passages that we've been studying. The Greek word biblos, which means book. Very specifically, God is saying, if you take anything out of this book, your name will be removed from the book of life and you'll have no part in the holy city and the things which are written in this book. Now, let me bring all this to a close today. All that we've been looking at here would seem to contradict this so-called once saved, always saved. I mean, I've, I've argued with people about this and they say, look, if I got saved... 35 years ago, and now I'm sitting on a bar stool, drunk out of my mind, and Jesus comes tonight, I'm going with him. Now, just don't even worry about Bible verses for a minute. Does that make common sense? Does, does that add up? Is that the, the end purpose of this whole New Testament that we have? Is that why Jesus suffered and bled and died on the cross so we can use him as an excuse to go on living a carnal, lustful, sinful life and say, oh, I'm going to make it into heaven somehow. This doesn't make sense. doesn't make common sense, and it doesn't make Bible sense either. Let me summarize this. Number one, God keeps a written account. He has a book. It's a registry of all those born from above. This isn't a list of good people. It's not a a list of religious people. It's specifically a registry of those who have been born in Zion, born of God. All those that have been born again are written there. In other words, they had an experience with Christ. Christ came into their life. He changed their heart. He changed their life. And let me tell you something. When you're born again, you don't want to do the old things anymore. You don't want to be the old man. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. 
the very day I got saved, my desires, my thoughts, my goals, my ambitions, everything began to change. I didn't want to be the old Wayne. And I'm not saying I was perfect. I messed up. I would fall. I would do wrong things and I would have to repent. But I would come back to God and say, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like that anymore. Change me. This book of life is so important. We saw in Revelation 20, it determines our eternal destiny, whether or not your name is written there. And you know, I brought a simple demonstration today. I know these are getting real old-fashioned because a lot of people don't even have a landline in their home, but we still do. And we get a phone book. Your name is either in this book or it isn't. And I often ask people, are you saved? Well, you know... I go to church and you know my my dad's a pastor and uh once once I read the whole Bible I didn't ask you that are you saved well you know I mean I try to do my best and I I mean I've never I didn't ask you that are you in the book well I I I never even looked at this thing until this morning and lo and behold I'm in here and Laureen's in here we may be the only old fogies left that have landlines but Laureen DeZille was in here. Wayne Pratt is in here. We're in the book. Some of you aren't. Now, that's nothing bad. It's just you don't have a phone or it's not listed in the book. But my point is you're either in the book or you're not. You're not kind of, sort of, hope I'm in there. You're either in the book or you're not. The book of life is the same way. You're not sort of, kind of, I hope I'm good enough to be in there. No, Jesus said, don't rejoice that you're casting demons out. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And my friend, if there's even a sliver of doubt in your heart and mind today, let me help you. It's very simple. God loves us with an everlasting love. He sent Jesus Christ to pay the full price, the full penalty for any sin you've ever thought of doing. Or did. And when you come to Jesus and repent of all your past sins and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Come into my heart. I want to be born from above. I want to be born again. He blots out all of your sins, all of your past transgressions, and it's just as if you had never sinned. And you will have that confidence from that day on. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. Make sure, make sure. And if you need help, talk to someone after the service today. We'll be happy to help you more with this. But make absolutely sure that you know, that you know, that you know that you've been born again. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about receiving the person of Jesus Christ into our lives to be saved. And as we saw at the very beginning today, it's cause for great rejoicing. You may not have a whole lot of great things going on in your life today, but you can go home today with a skip in your step. You can jump around in your dining room and sing some songs when you get home and just say, Hallelujah, my name is written in heaven. I've got salvation. God knows my name. Hallelujah. I like that. He knows my name. I want to balance out what we were just talking about, and then I'm going to close. Because some people might leave today thinking, oh God, I think I'm going to lose my salvation. Oh boy, that pastor really scared me today. My name's going to get blotted out. I'm sure I'm going to hell. I'm sure. Let Let me help you here. John chapter 10, starting with verse 27, and we're going to look at three verses, 27 to 29. This is the assurance that we have. If we have been born again, If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we can have this assurance. And let me be very clear. We are eternally secure. You say, well, I thought you just said that wasn't wasn't true. No, understand my words. I'm not saying once saved, always saved, no matter what you do. I'm saying in Christ, we are eternally secure. And these are the verses that prove it for me. John 10, starting with verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus talking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Raise your hand if you know you're a sheep. Now, no offense, but sheep can be dumb, you know. We can do some dumb things, but we're still sheep. 
I'm a sheep. I'm glad I can say that. I'm a sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, okay? And I give unto them eternal life. Say these next words with me. And they shall never perish. Say it again. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You are safe. You are secure in the hands of Jesus. But there's, there's a little caveat there. First of all, you're his sheep. How do you know you're a sheep? You hear his voice. We heard some nice testimonies yesterday in our men's meeting, how God speaks. God speaks. And if you're a sheep, you may not perfectly obey it, but you know you heard from him. And by and by, you'll get it right. And if we hear his voice and we know we're a sheep, we're listening to him and we're following him, he gives us absolute assurance we will never perish and no one can pluck us out of his hand. We're safe. Verse 29. My father which gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. You know, there's only one person that can possibly remove you from his hand. I know, pastor, it's my wife. It's my husband. He can do it every time. My kids. I can. I'm the only one by my choices. And here's the great mystery. God gave us the ability to choose. I can choose to stay in his hand and listen to his voice and be his sheep and follow him. Or I can make up my own mind. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going my own way. I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to have a good time doing it. See you later, Jesus. Not safe anymore. No, not safe. But we are eternally secure in his hands. And I don't want anyone leaving here today, oh my God, I'm going to lose my salvation because I, I think I'm going to lose my temper again when I get to work or school tomorrow. I'm not talking about that. This is a heart issue. If you've been born again, you want to please God. You want to walk in the light of salvation. And yes, we all stumble. We fall seven times and the Bible says you get up. You repent. You go back to God and say, Lord, blot out my transgressions and help me to walk worthy of you. We keep trusting in him. We keep persevering. We keep working out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Wow, that sounds pretty serious. And it is. Our salvation is serious business. And even though we're secure in his hands, we need to take this very seriously every day of our lives. The choices we're making, the decisions we're making, we should go to God in everything that we're doing. Seek him, listen to him, trust him, and follow him. And finally, God is ultimately the one who's able to keep us from falling. God is ultimately the author and the finisher of our faith. He, the Bible says, is able to save us to the uttermost, to the very last breath. He's able to save you. He's able to save me. And all I need to do is keep trusting in him, keep hoping in him, and keep following him. And I'm absolutely assured that I'm going to reach the finish line and praise God. Forevermore, we will be with the Lord. He who began a good work in you will complete it for the day of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you today for your word. We're not left to our own opinions, our own imaginations or speculations or ideas, but you've spelled it out very clearly for us in your word. And Lord, you've revealed to us that you have a book, a very special book where you keep a record of names. And Lord, you've revealed to us how to be certain that our name is in that book, the book of life. It's all because of your son, Jesus Christ, and the price that he paid on Calvary for our sins to be forgiven, for us to have eternal life, for us to have a new heart, a new mind, and a new life because we've been born from above. God, help us to walk worthy of this great calling, worthy of this great privilege to be your sons and to be your daughters. And God, we know that this day is fast approaching where the names will be checked in that book. 
And God, you've given us assurance through Jesus Christ that our names are written in heaven. And you've told us to rejoice. Rejoice in that grace, in that mercy, in that salvation that we have received through Jesus Christ. God bless each and every one today as we leave this place. Keep us safe as we travel to our homes. Help us to be a bright and a shining light to someone else this week. Cause us to be salt and light. Help us to walk with you, to seek you, to draw closer and closer to you that we may hear your voice and follow you to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.